morning, church. Grateful you're here together this morning to be able to consider again who the Lord is in accordance with His Word, to be able to praise Him together, to be able to encourage and edify one another. Uh, we want to start by reading God's Word, and we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 13 this morning. If you have a Bible, uh, I would encourage you to open up to Romans chapter 13 to read along with me. Make sure what I'm saying is first and foremost what God has already said. Uh, so if you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you. Romans chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 8. The Word of the Lord says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord for help as we seek to understand who He is and what He's called us to do in response to His Word. Father, I thank you for even the privilege of being able to bow and to call you, Father, and to call upon you. And Father, we know that every gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. And God, we ask that you would help us as any good Father in this congregation would uh, want to help their children in an area of need, we know even more so you aim to, to help us and to meet our needs. And Lord, you know our need. Uh, we need your help by your Spirit to understand your Word. We need your help in uh, applying it to our lives. We need your help in living it out as we go out this week to be the church in the world. So, Father, would you help us? We pray that you would do something that um, people gathering in a room alone cannot accomplish. We pray that you would do what a man standing in front of a group of people cannot accomplish, and that is save souls through the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection and sanctify those who have believed to look more and more like Jesus as we aim to put on Jesus. So God, have your way in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, I'm thankful again for this section of Romans as we've been preaching through the entire book of Romans, um, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, and continuing on even to this point in chapter 13. And uh, through that series, there's been uh, moments of intense theological truth uh, that we've wrestled with and tried to understand who is God and who is man more and more and more. And I'm thankful for these sections, these past two chapters, that they've become, um, th th that in this section of Romans, they're just very practical. Uh, they include several commands. Uh, we can very easily apply them to our lives. 
They may be a little bit easier to understand, but that does not make them easy. Uh, when you think about what it means to love uh, others, when you think about what it means to live uh, for God's glory, when you think about what it means to put on Christ, as we sang just a moment ago, in every aspect of life, uh, it's easy to understand what that might mean. It's hard to do, uh, but it's possible in the strength of the Holy Spirit, and we want that to come about uh, this week. One of the things I'm going to be referencing this morning is the importance of looking backward, um, but also the importance of looking forward. And uh, uh, several weeks uh, ago, uh, I was made aware of how important that really is. And those of you that drive, you know how important it is to look forward uh, at different times. You also know the importance of looking backward uh, at specific times. Uh, I was made even more aware of this as, uh, as, as Tucker's been learning to drive, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there in the passenger seat, you know, looking forward, sideways, left. I mean, I am on a swivel more than, more than normal as I'm teaching my son to drive. And uh, there was this moment, you know, all of us kind of looking forward, thinking in this moment of driving in this, on this street, at this moment in time, eh, you don't really need to look behind you. Oh, was I wrong? <laughs> uh, this man came screaming up on, and passed him on the wrong side and, you know, just almost missed us. It was just unbelievable. And I had probably a less pastoral moment in discussing that with uh, that man that day in, uh, in, in my front yard. Not sinful, just... Uh, just more outward than you've probably seen Pastor Brian <laughs> at, at times. Uh, but it was just such an a, a important reminder of the need when driving to look forward uh, at where we're going, uh, but also to look backward at where we've been um, so that we know how to live like in that moment. And that's true of driving, but it's also true of our spiritual lives as well. And this passage uh, I think it encourages us to look backwards and, and to look to Jesus and the life that he lived. Uh, I think it encourages us to look forward, uh, to look into the future at Jesus' return, and that we ought to both love and live in light uh, of Jesus' life in the past, but also his return in the future. So if you're taking notes this morning, I've, I've just got two main points for us. The first one is this, that you, you, I, we ought to love in light of Jesus' law-fulfilling life. We ought to love in light of Jesus' law-fulfilling life. Yes, I could have made that point shorter, but I needed those words. Uh, I think those words, you'll see, they pop out in the text to... Um, give us some, some of the reason and the depth of what Paul is trying to communicate here. <clears throat> Love in light of Jesus' law-fulfilling life. Let's look at verses 8 through 10 together. Paul starts with a command. And it, it might be important for us to just go back, especially if you weren't here last week, um, as Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he, uh, we have this kind of overarching um, high command that we are to lay down our lives as our spiritual act of worship. Every aspect of our life, laying it down as our act of worship before the Lord. And Paul would go on to say that we are not to be conformed to the patterns of this world. And we talked about what it looked like to be squeezing Play-Doh, that we ought not let the world squeeze us and to conform us to its image, but we ought to be transformed from the inside out by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, uh, with the help of the people of God, to look more and more like Jesus. Um, and so everything following Romans 12, 1 and 2 is really fleshing out what does that look like in this area of life? What does that look like in this area of life? 
well, well, Paul is still teaching on that, and he, he hinted at what this looks like in regards to governing authorities in last week's passage, 13, 1 through 7. And he even ended with this phrase, pay, in, in chapter Chapter 13, verse 7, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes, revenue, respect, and honor. Pay to all what is owed. So in, in light of that, how we are to live with governing authorities and, and those, he's already made it clear that we're to pay what we owe. But here he goes another step forward, forward and says, owe no one anything except to love each other, or owe no one anything only to love each other. Now, I don't think Paul is saying here that it, it is sinful and wrong for you to uh, owe a mortgage to a bank or to owe a loan to a, a car company or, or anything like that. Uh, but, but what it is saying, that's a matter of, of prudence, a matter of wisdom. It, it is saying um, that we ought to be able to pay what we owe. Uh, we ought to be able to make those payments uh, of what we owe for that house, of what we owe for that car, of what we owe for those taxes, that revenue, or uh, whatever it is. But what he's really highlighting here is that there's something we'll never be able to, to fully pay back. There's a, a debt that we owe that is impossible. Even if we spend every minute of every day of every year of our lives trying to pay back, and that is love. We have been loved by God. We have been shown the love of God uh, in such a way that we would never be able to to pay it back. And so Paul is saying in regards to our earthly relationships, we're to owe no one anything. We're, we ought to pay back everything that we owe and be able to do so. But we are to love each other. The thing that we owe most to the Lord and owe most to others here on this earth is, is that of love. That we're to love one another. He goes on and explains it, gives a reason for this. He says that for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So as we're trying to, to uh, understand what Paul is meaning by love here, uh, we have to make sure we have a, a good contextual understanding of what love meant here in this passage, um, what, what all of Scripture says, and, and to get our understanding from the Lord, not from the world. Uh, because there's so many definitions of what love is out in the world. Most of those are wrapped up in feelings and emotions as opposed to uh, fact, as opposed to truth. But in the context of even this passage, and we talked about this several weeks ago, that Paul has already defined what genuine love really is. Look back at chapter 12, verse 9. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, he says, let love be genuine. He's giving us a definition of what love is in this paragraph. Uh, genuine love is abhors what is evil and holds fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's what genuine love is in a in Paul's mind, as God has shown him what, what true love is. And so when Paul has already defined love, it wouldn't be fair for us to then jump to this passage and to take it out of its context and, and to say, well, see, Paul is saying that the most important thing, the really only thing that we need to do is, to, is just to love. 
We just need to love. And, and I want you to love me like I want to be loved and in, in accordance with this definition of love. No, Paul is saying what we owe um, the Lord and others is genuine love. The type of love that God has loved us with, where to then show others? And notice that um, this love has context even in our own passage, not only in the surrounding passages, but even in our own passage. It has really a definition of, of love there as well. He says, For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. If you love one another with genuine, God-fearing love, you will in turn be fulfilling the law. So in another way of saying that, if you're, if you're loving in such a way that's not fulfilling uh, the law, it's actually not love. So someone might say, well, I, I, I know I'm married, but I love this other person. And I, I want to go and to be with that other person. Well, this passage is saying that if you love, you'll fulfill the law. And then Paul begins to just list part of the law there and says and shows us that that idea of love is not actually love at all. He goes on in verse 9, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And he goes on and says, In any other commandment, are summed up in this word that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if you or someone else has this idea of love that it, it would be loving of them to break off this marriage relationship for another relationship because they feel more loved in that relationship, we know that that's not actually love because it's not in accordance with the law. And that God has given us a definition of what love really is. It's not good in that. It's not loving to murder. It's not loving to steal. It's not loving to even covet after that. And so Paul goes on and says not only those commandments, which are um, just five of the ten commandments that God gave us in, in the Old Testament in Exodus 20, he goes beyond that and, and quotes here from Leviticus 19, verse 18, and says all of those commandments are summed up in this one commandment, that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. The assumption in that verse is that you love yourself, that you love yourself in, in such a way that you would do things that are good for you, that are um, for, your, for your own good. And if that's assumed, then we're to be loving others with that same type of love. Now, at different times in our lives, we might think that something is good for us and we end up doing that, wanting to love ourselves, knowing in the depths of our heart or realizing later it actually wasn't good for us. And that wasn't actually loving. But when we love ourselves rightly, uh, in accordance with God's Word, uh, that aspect of love is how we're to be loving others as ourselves. And when we do that, we'll actually be fulfilling this law. Now, if you've spent time with us, if you have um, read through the book of Romans uh, you, you may ask, well, what's up with this law stuff? What about that grace that we were saved by? Why, why is Paul bringing up this uh, idea of law in this passage here? If we were to go back into, into the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 7, Paul described very clearly that Early in all of our lives, we were bound to the law. Just like a husband is bound in marriage to his wife and vice versa, we were all born 
being bound to the law. That meant that when we would stand before God, we would be judged in accordance with our actions and how they lined up with the law or how they didn't line up with the law. Uh, and so there was, that was true of all of us at, at some point in our lives. We were all bound to the law. But Paul would go on to describe that we have been released uh, that, that there, uh, for, for some of us, we've been released from being bound to that law. Those who have, by grace, through faith, repented of their sins and trusted in Christ, we've acknowledged that if we were judged in accordance with the law, we would fall short. We've admitted that to God. And yet we have looked upon one, namely God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who has perfectly obeyed that law, uh, never failed at any one point. And so through faith in Jesus Christ, we've been released from the law. We're no longer bound to the law, and instead we're bound to Christ through faith. So we're no longer judged by what the law says. We're judged by the righteousness of Christ that is ours through faith. And we're thankful for that. Uh, we're, we're thankful for Romans chapter 8 that says in verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, which was weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Listen. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, uh, the, we were bound to the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, we were released from the law and we were bound to Christ. And yet, Paul is saying here that we're not to abandon the law. Uh, that there are certain aspects of the law of God that is now referred to as the law of Christ that are still to be upheld. Uh, these commandments of do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not lie, do not steal, do not covet. These are all a part of the law of Christ because Christ Himself lived these things perfectly for us. And as the passage you heard read earlier it, it goes on to say we're to put on Christ. We're to put on everything that Jesus did. And so this is why Paul continues to, to bring up the law. Not as a matter of judgment. Not as a matter of entrance into heaven. Our judgment is based on faith in Jesus Christ. Our entrance into heaven is, is based on Jesus' perfect law fulfilling. Jesus' perfect law abiding. But, but our life lived then after repentance of sin and faith in Jesus is to be one of obedience to God, obedience to Christ. Um, so far as Christ obeyed the law, we too are to obey um, the law. And, and Paul is saying here that if we will love God and love others like God has first loved us, uh, then we would fulfill the law uh, that Paul is bringing up here. Jesus Himself was questioned by the authorities, by lawyers at different points. Um, he was asked to sum up the law, and Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. 
that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily the hard part uh, of, of this passage. I think the hard part is really defining, though, uh, who we're to show this love to, which Paul makes clear in verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Jesus was asked uh, another time uh, about these commandments uh, when a lawyer asked him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, you know the commandments. And he says, I've, I've done them. And, and Jesus would say to him to love God and to love your neighbor. But in, in a desire to justify himself, he said, but who is my neighbor? Uh, yeah, I know I'm supposed to love God and I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but who is that? Is it just this small group of, is it okay if I just love these people? Because I, I could do that. I like these people. They're easy to love. Like, if I can just love these people, then, then that's good. Uh, and Jesus then began to tell one of the most memorable stories in all of the Gospels, the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and told, of, um, told of a man who had been traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho on what was known as the Path of Blood at night and, and fell to the hands of robbers and, and thieves that night. And uh, the next day, as a priest was coming by, he passed over to the other side of the road and walked around him, not not showing love to his neighbor at that point. But then when a Levite walked by, someone who wasn't a priest, someone who didn't necessarily have as many responsibilities of being ceremonially unclean came along, you would think, well, maybe the Levite will help him. But the Levite, too, passed on the far side of the road and didn't help, didn't love his neighbor, didn't do good to his neighbor in that moment. And then Jesus tells of a Samaritan, someone who the Jews would have looked down upon, um, someone whom the Jews didn't even like to say the word Samaritan. Jesus tells of a Samaritan coming uh, along by and seeing the man left half dead on the side of the road and going and caring for him and putting him on his donkey and meeting his needs and taking him to a, a, a place to stay for the night and paying for his bills there that night. Um, Jesus then asked the lawyer who questioned him, who in this story loved his neighbor? And the, the lawyer in question would not even say the Samaritan. He say the man who took care of his needs. This is what Jesus was getting at. It, it's not so hard to know what love for one another really looks like in accordance with the Bible. The hard thing to, to do is then to say, well, who do I have to do that to? How far does that circle extend? Uh, does, that, does that mean uh, neighbor, like, like the person who lives on my left and straight across and on my right and behind, but not in, like just that much or, you know, the people on my street or is that my immediate family or do I have to love my extended family? Uh, is that everyone in the church or just my small group? Because I'm in this small group because I like these people. And there's others. I, uh, this, is a, this is a challenge to all of us at some levels where there's some people in our life where we look at that the Lord has put around us where it's easy to love. And we've experienced love from them. It's easy to love back. But there's others who it's, it's harder to love. Neighbors, family members, even church members. Your pastor included. It's hard to love. Just ask my wife and my kids at times. Uh, it's hard to love other people 
But so far as the Lord has put someone in your life, we are called to love them and to love them in light of Jesus' law-fulfilling life. We need to look backward at at Jesus' life and to see how He loved others, how He loved children, how He loved adults, how He loved men, how He loved women, how He loved Jews, how He loved Gentiles, how He loved those in between as Samaritans, how He loved young and old, how He loved healthy and sick, how He loved rich and poor. Did Je- I'm thankful. Are you not thankful that Jesus didn't have a narrow scope of who His love was to be shown towards and that it was to be shown to people of all nations, all tribes, uh, all languages? Being a Gentile, I'm super thankful that Jesus didn't just come to love the Jews but, to came, but came to show God's love uh, to the entire world. We need to love our neighbors in light of Jesus' law-fulfilling love. Now, this doesn't mean that we need to accept everyone as they are. For we know as sinners who have repented of our sins and known that our actions and our words and our thoughts and our hearts condemned us to hell. But through faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 8, chapter 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we want others, we want our neighbors to know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But so far as they're not in Christ, there is condemnation. For we were going to stand condemned before God as well. And so we need to love our neighbor in light of Jesus' law-fulfilling love towards his neighbors. There were times when Jesus um, met people's needs, fed them, clothed them, um, cared for their physical needs. Um, There were times where he welcomed people that were unwelcomed by others. Um, There were also times when Jesus met with sinners and went and ate in their homes. And Jesus was known as eating with tax collectors and sinners, um, prostitutes and more. He would eat with them and spend time with them, but he would say, go and sin no more. Follow me uh, in those moments. There were even times when Jesus, so righteously angry because of the lack of worship in his father's house where he overturned tables. Uh, There might be moments in our life where we are righteously angry. We need to be careful because we're not Jesus. But there are moments in time where we may be righteously angry at what's happening in the world or what's happened to us or what's happened to our loved ones that we need to turn some tables. There might be other times, though, when we need to eat with people whom we might not have eaten with, uh, as Jesus did, and to love them, to get to know them, uh, and yet at the same time to point them to Jesus uh, and to say that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and encourage them to repent of their sins, to turn and to come and to, to follow to follow Jesus. It's important for us to look backward when trying to navigate this life in this moment right now. We want to look backward at Jesus' life. Um, As our example, uh, yes, and I think that's clear in this example that Jesus fulfilled the law. We too are to love in such a way that we fulfill the law, just like Jesus did. Um, So we're to look back at Jesus' perfect, law-fulfilling life. Um, But we're also to look backward and to remember that it wasn't just the life that He lived that was important. Many people would tell you that Jesus was just a, a great model, a great example of the life that we're to live now. 
But Jesus, uh, it was so much more than that. He was more than just a life live. He, he was a, a death that, was, that, that died. Jesus lived a perfect life, but then willingly, he says, no one takes his life from him, but he willingly gives it up. And Jesus, though he was sinless, he took our sin upon his shoulders and died on the cross. This is why Paul would be able to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that for our sake, he made him, that is, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, that in him, that is, that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. We look backward to the law-fulfilling life of Jesus to see our example, but we, we can't just look at him as our example. We have to look at him as our Savior. We have to look back at him to be able to see that Yes, if he didn't live a law-fulfilling life, his death on the cross would have not been important. But he did live a perfect life, and he did die a sinner's death on our behalf as our substitute to take the punishment for our sin, to pay the penalty for our sin, to make atonement for our sin. And for that, as we look backward, we see him... Uh, not only as our example, but as our Savior. As our Savior because He died, but He also rose from the dead. He, he didn't just die. He's not still buried in the tomb like so many um, people, uh, examples in other religions look to their fathers who are still in their tombs. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He was witnessed by many. And the Bible makes that abundantly clear. And so we look back to Him. Yes is our example in how we're to love, uh, that our love is to extend to any that the Lord would put in our life. We're, that we're to love them like Jesus loved those who were put in His life by God's sovereign plan. Um, but we're to love them remembering how God first loved us and that He sent His one and only Son to take the punishment for our sins. And if God loved us in that way, why would we not then too want to love others in the same way that God has first loved us? So first thing, that we are to love in light of Jesus' law-fulfilling life. But the second thing is this, that we're to live in light, that we're to live in light of Jesus' ever-nearing return. We've looked backward. We've looked at Jesus' law-fulfilling life. We even looked at His sacrificial death and His victorious resurrection over the grave. But we also want to look forward. Just like in, in driving, it, it, it's important to, yes, look forward and look backward to know how we are to act in this moment uh, at this time. It's important for us to look forward too. And Paul makes this clear in 11 through 14. He says, besides this, in addition to this, you know the time. And, and Paul's not saying that you know that it's 3.13 p.m. as you're reading this letter of mine to you. He, he's talking about a spiritual time. You know the, the season, the, the age in which you are living. He says that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. This waking from sleep, sleep here is a, a metaphor describing the darkness of the present evil age of our world. And it even describes the former life that we all once lived in when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. 
Ephesians chapter 2 talks about our, our former life, that we were dead in our sins. Uh, uh, other places it talks about that we were uh, asleep and that we need to be awakened. Paul's saying, you, you know the time in which you live. This was true of Paul and the church in Rome, and it's also true of us 2,000 years later that we live because, remember, we looked backward to Jesus. Uh, and so Paul and the church in Rome, and we too, we live after the birth and life and death and resurrection and even ascension of Jesus. But we're also living before what's, what's coming in the future as we look forward, which is Christ's return. We're living in this in-between times, in between Jesus' uh, time here on this earth and His ascension to heaven, and between His return in the future. And that's what Paul's trying to, to bring up. You know the time in which you live. You know that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Jesus has come. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect sinless life. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He ascended. That old season is over. The period of darkness and sleep was over. When Christ came, He inaugurated this new time, this new season, spiritual season of life. Uh, the, the light, Jesus who is the light, the lights were turned on when Jesus came into the world and when He died for sins, when He rose over the grave. And what Paul said in the end of verse 11 is true of us even now. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believe. It's an interesting phrase because so often we refer to salvation as a, a, a past moment in time that has happened to all of those who repent and believe. And that's 100% true. Salvation is spoken of biblically as uh, a one-time moment uh, that all who repent and believe experience, a salvation from condemnation of sin, a salvation from judgment of sin, a salvation from hell, that, that all of those who repent of their sins and believe on Jesus Christ experience in a moment. At the same time, the Bible also speaks of salvation as something that has not fully uh, been realized yet, as something that has not fully been accomplished yet. Uh, something that we are still awaiting for. Uh, that we have been saved and we are still being saved uh, as we go along until Christ returns. We saw this back in Romans chapter 8, in that great chapter about God's salvation for us. We read about how... Um, that we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we still groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 24, For in this hope we were saved. And yet, he goes on, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So there's an aspect that we have been saved, and yet we are still waiting for that ultimate reality of our salvation to, to take place. That, uh, that full glimpse of it to come before our eyes as he says, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. How is that true? It's true because Christ's return is nearer now for them that are reading this letter to Rome than it was when they first believed. And it's true of us as well. 
unless you put your faith in Jesus today. Uh, that salvation is nearer today for you than it was when you first believed. Because Christ's return is imminent. Christ's return is set in stone in, in God's history. That God knows the day and the time in which He will send His Son to, to return. And tomorrow will be another day nearer to Christ's return. At, at the same time, Paul is living, he, he's saying that not only because, yeah, we're one day nearer, but he's saying that with some immediacy. That we need to live as if that could happen today as if that could happen tomorrow, that Jesus might return. And we need to be living as if our Savior is going to return and to see the way in which we're living. Are we living in light uh, of Jesus' law-fulfilling life? Are we living in light of His sacrificial death? Are we living in light of His vic victory over the grave? Or are we living... Uh, as we lived in our former life? Are we living in the ways of the world, allowing the world to conform us to its image more than we are being transformed into the image of Christ? Uh, Paul says that salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. That was true of them. It's true of us. And we need to live as Paul did. It doesn't mean that Paul was wrong just because 2,000 years later, Jesus still hadn't returned. Paul wasn't mistaken. He knew that and lived his life based on the knowledge that God was going to save some from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. Um, Jesus, Paul knew that that was going to have to happen. That's why he lived in the way that he, he did. He, and yet he also believed that it might happen at any moment, at any time, in the blinking and twinkling of an eye. And that even Jesus said in his humanity while here on this earth, he, even he didn't know the time in which he was to return. It didn't make Paul wrong that Jesus hasn't returned 2,000 years later. Uh, it just shows us the sovereign plan of God being unfolded. And yet we could say the very same thing. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believe. It may be another 2,000 years. But let us not live as if that's the case. We ought to be living as if He would return tomorrow. Or we ought to be living as if we've got another 10 years and we ought to make the best 10 years and get the gospel to as many as we can in the next 10 years of our lives, as Paul aimed to do with his 10 years that, that, that he lived. He goes on in verse 12, he uses that metaphor of waking from sleep uh, and goes on in verse 12, says that the night is far gone. The night's far gone because Jesus, who is the light, came into the world to save sinners. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. The light has shined, and the day of Christ's return is coming soon. So then, Paul says, and here's where we get the action of these verbs. The action that I said earlier is easy in our minds and yet hard to actually live out. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He's using language here of getting undressed and getting redressed. He's using the language of throwing off those old clothes and putting on these new clothes, casting off the works of darkness that we used to live in before we knew of the good news of Jesus Christ, to cast off our old ways and um, to put on the, the new way of life, to put on Christ, to put on light rather than 
darkness. We need to think about that imagery when we think about the life that we're to, uh, to be living. Every single day we're to be casting off the ways of the flesh, the ways of the world, the ways of our old life, and to be constantly, daily being renewed of our minds so that we could put on Christ. I don't know about you, uh, but as week goes by, year goes by, and as I strive and struggle to uh, cast off the old life and the ways of the world and put on Christ, the more I cast off the old and put on Christ, the more I realize there's more to cast off and there's more to put on. Uh, just when I think I've cast off the last bit of dirty clothes in my life, uh, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ unveils more than I'm going to need the strength of the Spirit to cast off in the future. And, and I find the depths of Christ and the more of Christ that I need to put on. And I'm put in more opportunities where my sinful flesh <laughs> rises higher than I would like to admit that it does. And I have to cast that back off again and put on Christ. I'm sure that's true in your life as well. This is why Paul tells us this, this is something that we need to continuously be doing. So then, let us... Paul includes himself as he speaks to the church in Rome. Uh, that includes us as well. And I, as a preacher this morning, include myself in it. So then let us, church, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The armor uh, might bring up a, a reference of Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. Uh, and you could go and spend some good time this week looking at Ephesians chapter 6 of uh, what is that armor of light? What are those weapons of warfare that we are given in the Spirit of Jesus Christ? The helmet of salvation. Shoes fit with the readiness of the gospel. The sword of the Spirit and the belt of truth. Those are the things that we're to be putting on daily. But Paul spends uh, much of his time in verse 13 talking more about what we're to cast off. He gives us this charge again to let us walk properly as in the daytime. But he talks about how, how we're to not live. And he gives us three pairs of sinful living that we're to be casting off, that we're not to be living in. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. Well, I mean, that seems obvious, doesn't it? Uh, that those who um, call themselves followers of Christ are to also to live like Christ. And obviously, the record of Christ's life proves that he never lived in any of these ways and that these ways are already marked out by God's Word that we're not to be living in them. And, and they're, uh, again, in these ever-increasing uh, ever circles that we're not to live in orgies and drunkenness. We're not to be lived in excessive sexual immorality and excessive um, drinking of alcohol, that we're not to be living in, in such a way that is to be described as um, partying and, and, and living full of, lives full of drunkenness, full of that sexual behavior. And you say, well, I'm, I'm good to go. You know, haven't, haven't lived in that lifestyle. Some of you can say that for your entire life have not lived in that partying lifestyle, that lifestyle of excessive drinking and alcohol. And praise be to God for that. But, but Paul doesn't stop there. Uh, the, the circle is widened 
to those who may not have done that publicly for all to see in, in being proud of it in orgies and drunkenness. But he goes, not even in private, really, sexual immorality and sensuality. Not, not even in um, the secrets of the bedroom. Not even the secrets of your own affairs. Ought there to be sexual immorality in your life with another person in a relation, sexual relationship. Uh, looking at pornography. That there ought not to be any sexual immorality in us. So yeah, you might be able to say, some of us might be able to say that drunkenness and orgies were not a part of our life. It's much harder pressed to, to be able to say that there's never been any sexual immorality in our lives. Jesus makes this abundantly clear that for those who, of us who have lusted in our hearts have actually committed sexual immorality and adultery against that person and, and against the Lord. And so we need to consider our own hearts. What an opportunity we had this morning as Pastor Graham led us to confess of our sin and to know at the same time that there is forgiveness for those who confess their sin. For God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so Paul is saying we're to cast these things off. We're not to live in these things, in the darkness. We're to live in the light. But just in case that too didn't encompass your circle, he goes uh, into an even widening circle that most definitely includes everyone. Not in quarreling and jealousy. And even my sweet daughter could be included in this. For when she described something yesterday, it just makes me so jealous. We all can find our, ourselves in moments of jealousy or moments of quarreling. And even in those actions, God, Jesus, uh, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit himself, are saying, that's not the way in which we're to live. It's not the way of Christ. It's not the way that we're to be living when Christ returns. Is that what you want to display to Christ when He returns? Is being jealous of what other people might have horizontally here on this earth? Realizing what Christ has given to you vertically, eternally, in forgiveness of sins and a heaven awaiting you in heaven? Is that how we're to be living when Christ returns, quarreling with one another about earthly affairs, not spending our time speaking more importantly about the eternal affairs of their souls in heaven. Let us be found walking in light in the daytime, having cast off the works of darkness. This is why Paul ends with this command, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Live in light of Jesus' ever-nearing return and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is similar language that he used earlier in the book of Romans when we talked about that we need to put our flesh to death. We need to starve our flesh. We need to suffocate our, our flesh. Uh, we, we ought not to make any provision for our flesh to continue in sin. We, we ought to remove any hindrance in our lives to putting on Christ and to putting away the works of the flesh. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul commands. Christian, we ought to live in light of Jesus' ever-nearing return. We are one day closer to Christ's return because he, His return is stamped on God's history books. And we are to live right here in this moment in time, yes, looking backward at Jesus' life as our example, but also looking backward 
as his life as the sacrifice that saved us from our sins. But we're to also look forward, looking forward in hope that Jesus Christ is going to return and all of the promises of Jesus preparing a place for us and taking us to be with him, with his Father in heaven, are going to come true. But we also need to live in in light of his ever-nearing return, knowing that we will be judged not for our entrance into heaven, uh, but for our stewardship of our salvation here on this earth. And don't you want to be able to give your Savior and your Lord uh, a life lived for His name's sake when He returns. To be able to stand before Jesus, to be proud of the life that we've lived once we came to faith in Jesus Christ. I know it won't be perfect. My life is proof of that after I've put my faith in Jesus. But might they be as the nearness of Christ's return uh, is getting closer and closer, might the righteousness of my life be ever increasing as well. So that when Christ returns or when we die here on this earth, we, we are proud of the life that we lived. Again, not that it was perfect, but that it was one lived in faithfulness to Him. Christian, I hope that you might live looking backward and looking forward. But if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning and you realize in accordance with this Scripture that Christ's return is coming soon, uh, you might not be living in hope of that return because you know that you'll on that day be judged according to your sin. And I hope you heard that there's a a way for you to look backwards at Jesus Christ as well and to repent of your sins and to believe on Jesus Christ and His perfect life and His death on the cross and His resurrection from the grave. And repenting and believing, you too would be saved. The light of the gospel would be shined in the darkness of your heart and And your heart would be revived and be made new and be born again. And so that when you do look forward, you look forward at Christ's return, not fearfully of judgment for the sins that you've committed against God, but you would look forward hopefully, knowing that in that day, your salvation will be fully experienced. And God the Father will welcome you in as His sons and daughters adopted into His family. Christ Jesus, uh, uh, whose righteousness is given to all who believe, will proudly, unashamedly welcome you in as brothers and sisters uh, of Himself. I urge you, if you have yet to put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you would do so this morning. Be able to look forward to Christ's return. And from here on out, Uh, to be able to love in light of Jesus' law-fulfilling light and to live in light of Jesus' ever-nearing return. Let's pray. Father, would you help us this very morning as we desire to put on Christ. God, I know that none of us do that perfectly. I know that none of us Um, will ever do that perfectly here on this earth. And the more we do it, the more it seems we're made aware of how we fall short. And yet, Lord, you have called us to be faithful in every opportunity that we're given. Lord, help us as we aim to love one another and to love our neighbor so far as you have defined those who you've brought into our life as you have loved us. And that we're to live as Christ lived, putting on Christ ourselves. So God help us. We want to be a church 
um, that looks as much like Christ as possible in this world around us. So Lord, when we fall short, let us as individual Christians, as members of an individual church, repent. May we as a church repent of our sins and hold fast to You, knowing that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And let us aim to shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ as brightly as possible in this world as we are sent out to be the church in the world. Help us, I pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's worship Him who is the light.